Now, most of you who know me would uh, say that I am a fairly unique person. You may choose a different word than unique, as for those of you who are smiling right now, but I'm going to stick with, we're going to stick with that word. But what I mean by unique is that there are two sides of me. As you guys know, I love to have fun. I love to, to joke around. I love to goof off. I love uh, a little bit of sarcasm, never hurt anybody. I like to keep things uh, lighthearted. Um, I believe for most people, when it comes to everyday life, people need to lighten up a little bit. We live in a stressful time, uh, just always something going on. People are on the run all the time, and so I think it's important to add a little bit of humor to our lives. On the other side of me, uh, I am very serious about the things of God, most importantly, um, His Word. Okay? That is very, very important. I think uh, it's a big responsibility uh, to teach God's Word. Um, I take that very seriously. Uh, If you've been a part of Discover Church for any amount of time, you obviously already know that. According to Scripture, I have the responsibility as your pastor to preach the Word. I am to feed the flock. I am to equip the saints. Okay. Matter of fact, some of the the verses I have at the front of my Bible, they're always there to remind me. Titus 1.9. I am to hold firmly to the trustworthy message that has been taught so that I can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Titus 2.1, teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And I won't read anymore, but I try to keep these things written in the front of my Bible. Many years ago, while we were studying the book of Colossians, we came to chapter 3, verse 16, which tells us to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, or if you will, abundantly. When I think of verses like these, uh, and when I think of the importance of the Word of God, I, I think of Scripture that some of you may know, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Maybe you know that. All Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When you think about that, you recognize the power that is in the Word of God. And of course, I I can't not say uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, for the Word of God is living and it is active. Many of us read things, right? They're just words on a page, something we enjoy to look at. But God's Word is living and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing of uh, soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and it judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Once again, there is power, there is authority. That's very important. There is authority in the Word of God. It is authoritative. It is the standard by which we live, by which we worship, by which we understand God Himself. Psalm 19, another great, great passage, verses 7 through 10. Here, the author uses synonyms uh, 
for God's word, okay? And then he shares what God's word is, and then he says what God's word does. Many of you know it. It says the law of the Lord, that's meaning God's word, is what? It's perfect. What does it do? It revives the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy. That's what it is. What does it do? It makes wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. They give joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, and they give light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure. It endures forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure. They're altogether righteous. And for all of these, he says, they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. He says they are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. I hope when you think about all these verses that I just mentioned, you will realize why I feel, and some others as well, about why we do as far as teaching, or what we do as far as teaching the Word of God. You see, my goal when I come up here every Sunday is honestly, it's not to give you a sermon. I'm not preparing for a sermon. My goal is to teach the Scriptures. Those are two different things. Okay? Some people call it a homily, homiletics. That's where we get our word for preaching. But I don't come up here to preach necessarily, even though that sometimes happens. But I come up here to teach the Scriptures. Because I believe to know the Word of God, you must dig into. You must dig into the Word of God. Most of you know I don't tell or spend a lot of time, I guess I should say, telling stories, showing videos, giving lots of illustrations. Uh, I'm not saying those are wrong in and of themselves. Uh, I just believe that God's Word changes lives. You've heard me say that many times throughout the years. God's Word changes lives. And therefore, I just go with that. I'm not going to be wrong by just teaching Scriptures. I'm not going to be rebuked by it. I don't, I, I don't fear standing before God and Him asking me, what in the world were you doing? I don't have to worry about that. Well, this morning, I want to challenge you. This is a challenge, of course, that will affect every area of your life. Many of you already know this challenge, and so it'll be a reminder for you today. That challenge is this. Do not merely be a listener to the Word. Do not simply be a hearer of the Word. Do not merely be a reader of the Word. But you know what's next, right? But be a doer of the Word. Now, for some of you, you might need a whole new outlook and a complete change of heart. One that says, I love God, I love His people, the church, I love my salvation, and absolutely, I love the Word of God. Turn to James chapter 1 this morning. I'm going to be looking in a few minutes anyway at verses 21 and 22. Now here in the book of James, this book is written by none other than James. He is the half-brother of the Lord. 
And he challenges his readers on what you and I might consider basic Christian living. Okay? The book of James is a very practical book. It is how you live. It is what you do. It is how you act. It is the words that we use. I mean, there's lots of stuff going on in the book of James. Now, James is here. He's writing to a group of Jews. Okay, chapter 1, verse 1, it tells us these Jews are no longer living in Israel. He says they were scattered throughout the nations. Okay? This means they're now living amongst the Gentiles. They're no longer in their homeland. They're living amongst the Gentiles. And you see what happened here is after the stoning of Stephen in Acts chapter 7 is when that took place. Acts chapter 8 verse 1, it says a great persecution broke out in the church. Or maybe I should say against the church. And therefore, as you can imagine, people were running and doing everything they can to find a safe place for them. Now, the Jews that James is writing to here were professing Christians. They were a part of the persecuted church. If they weren't, they would never have left Israel. They have no worries, right? There's nobody to persecute. I'm not a Christian. But these are people who profess the name of Christ. Now, we know this, number one, because they are those who were scattered because of their faith. We also know this because of chapter 1, verse 18. James says, God chose us, notice he's using himself and these people, to give us birth through the word of truth. Chapter 2, verse 1, James begins the statement as this. He says, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. He's talking to these people. And lastly, he calls them brothers, believe it or not, 15 times in five chapters. So there's certainly areas where it's very clear He's talking to those who profess the name of Christ. Now with that, there was a good chance that some of these Jews prior to the scattering were actually members of the Jerusalem church. And that, by the way, is where James was one of the leaders. And if this is correct, James would at one time have been their spiritual leader. And therefore, James would have every right, James would have the authority to confront them the way that he does in this book. Now, I don't know if you've ever studied this book. I know many of you probably have, but you see that a lot. You see a a lot of authoritative statements. Matter of fact, there's 108 verses in the book of James, 108. Do you realize that literally half, right down the middle, 54 of them are commands? Half, every other verse in the entire book of James is a command that says a lot. It says a lot. Some of those commands are right here in these two verses that I want to look at this morning. But here is the challenge that I spoke of earlier. I'll just read it again in verse 22. He says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now, if you want to get a better feeling of what's happening here, you would simply drop back one verse. I kind of read those in reverse. You would look at verse 21. First, he says, Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent 
and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So James just basically said, lay aside or put away these actions that really make you look just like the world. Stop following. Don't do what the world does. He talks about moral filth. He talks about evil. Okay, But then he says, instead, I want you to accept or receive the word that was planted in you. Some of you might have the word implanted, which is probably a better word. It means it's already happened. The word has been implanted in you. Okay, In other words, despite the word already being within us, we must continue to allow it to direct and control our lives, okay? We can have the Word of God in us, but does it direct our lives? Does it control our lives? To summarize this verse, he's basically saying, before God's Word can produce His righteousness in us, we must renounce, we must put away the sin in our lives that literally stands between us and that righteousness. Does that make sense? Now, before you think this is something that James alone is talking about, like he's on a rant, it's not. This is actually a theme throughout the Word of God. I'm going to share with you four different verses right now. Number one, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, the life you used to be, your old self, he says, which is corrupted by its evil desires, right? The old you. He says, he says to put that off. Put off your old self. The old you who you used to be, don't live like that. Don't do these kinds of things. But he says to be made new in the attitudes of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So what does he say? Get rid of this. Don't carry around your old man, the old you. Don't live like that. Don't act like that. Don't talk like that. But in this new attitude of your minds, put on the new self. Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10 but now you must rid yourselves of such things as these. And this is not an exhaustive list, obviously. But he says, get rid of the anger, get rid of the rage, get rid of the malice, the slander, the filthy language from your lips. And then, like prior, he says, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. And you put on the new self, which is being renewed in the image of its creator. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, that's everybody he mentioned in chapter 11, okay? Because of that, he says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us. Get rid of what hinders us in our walk with Christ, in addition to the sin that's obviously an issue. And then he says, let's run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. 
And line, uh, lastly, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Putting that aside, he says, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow up in respect to salvation, or if you will, that you may mature in your relationship with Christ. Did you guys notice a pattern in those verses? He says, get rid of this, right? Get rid of the sin, the immorality, the worldliness, the old you, and then he says, put on that, right? Get rid of this and put on that. What Ephesians calls the new man, the new self, which is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Folks, James knew that it was not going to be easy for these Jewish Christians to live amongst the Gentiles. He knew it was not just going to be, hey, let's run down to the, the church on the corner, let's worship the Lord, let's teach the Scriptures, let's mature in our walk with Christ. He knew it wasn't going to be that way. And because of that, James has to remind them that they must avoid the culture around them. Don't be like everybody else. Stop living like the world. Don't follow what everybody else does. Okay? He says that in verse 21 by basically saying the evil that is so prevalent. Avoid the evil that is so prevalent. Prevalent meaning it's so common. It's so everyday. Everybody does it. You have to avoid those kinds of things. It's like he's saying here, look at, I realize, I realize that as believers, you are going to be outnumbered in your society, and therefore, it adds difficulty to our walk with the Lord. And that's true. It's certainly happening like that all the time overseas, and it's beginning to creep into our world today as believers here in the United States. It is certainly becoming more difficult to walk faithfully in Christ because you're mocked, you're called names, and so on. Okay? But he says here, but, but don't just go out then and just do what's popular. Whatever you do, certainly don't use the excuse, well, all my Christian friends are doing it. So, how many people do that? It must be okay because my Christian friends are doing it. Instead, what does he say here in verse 21? He says, humbly accept the word of God that was planted in you. Okay? God's word, he's saying, was the originator of the new birth. Without it, you and I would have not known the truth unto salvation. God's word was the tool. God's word was that seed that began that transformed life. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 1. Verse 23, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Listen, through, you've been born again through the living and enduring word of God. Huh, I like that. You've been born again through the word of God. Now, he ends this verse, he ends verse 21, 
by saying, which can save you? Accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Now, we've talked about this word saved before, okay? It's very easy for all of us to simply be reading your Bible and go, oh, there's the word saved. It must mean salvation. It's easy for us to do that. But as you know, you must look at the context and you also must look at who he's talking to. As I mentioned earlier, Paul speaks to them as professing Christians, right? He calls them brothers throughout the entire book of James. Chapter 2, verse 1, my brothers as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Therefore, the phrase, which can save you, is not talking about salvation, but of saving them from sin. Well, Darren, how do you know that? Well, because he just mentioned it in the first half of the verse. Okay? He began this verse by saying, get rid of the moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent. What's going to help them to do that? The word that has been implanted in them. That's the second half of the same verse. If it helps you to understand this, I'll give you another verse, and I'm sure most of you know this. Psalm 119, verse 11. Listen to what it says. I have hidden your word in my heart so that, tell me everybody, I might not sin against you. I've hidden your word in my heart. Why? So that I might not sin against you. Same thing he's saying. It will save you from the sin that he just mentioned. Get rid of all moral filth, the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word that is in you which can save you. Or I believe save you from sin because he's already talking to believers. So number one, get rid of the moral filth, get rid of the evil. Number two, receive the word, the word of God that was implanted in you. God's word transformed these people in salvation, and it still has, folks, for us as well, it still has a transforming power to work in their present circumstances, okay? If they expect, it to, if they expect God's word to produce a righteous life, they can't just be living in sin. It's no different than us. If you think you're going to go to church or hear a sermon or read something during the week, you can't hang on to your sin. You can't play both sides. Your, your life is not going to be transformed if you continue to hang on to these things. You cannot expect to hold on to sin and anticipate spiritual growth, maturity, this is why James places these things in the order that he does. Remember, he says, get rid of this. And now begin to receive, accept, live by that. Okay? Two things. Get rid of this. Replace it with the word. Now, go back to verse 22 again and see how this flows into this verse. Verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So James starts this verse with a very clear statement, right? 
do not merely listen to the word. By the way, the implication, and I'll share with this in a minute, is that this is what they were doing. This was a problem. Okay? You might phrase it this way. Stop merely listening to the word. Now, this word, listen, or maybe you have the word hear in some of your translations, was a word that was used of an audience, okay? Someone would just go, as you know, and they maybe sit there and listen to a speaker. Someone may be listening to a singer or a performer in some sense. And, but in other words, the only thing they would do is hearing. They would sit here and they would hear. They would listen. That's what that word is used for. It was also used to speak of an auditor. Anybody here ever audit a class? Probably nobody. We all paid for those, didn't we? <laughs> we paid for our college education. If you know what an audit is, a class is, it, somebody who audits a class, which you can do still, by the way, is, is you're not looking for any credit. Okay? You're not there for the credit. All you're going to do is listen to the professor. You don't have to take tests. You don't have to, uh, to write any papers. You don't have to take any notes. Okay? Nothing. You don't have to do any of the work. All you have to do is sit back and listen. That's what it means when you audit a class. Well, that might work just fine in our present society if you want to do something of that nature. It might seem great if you just go and go and, and listen to somebody else perform. But James says, when it comes to the Word of God, that mindset must be rejected. We do not, he says, just come and listen. James says the person who does this, he just listens to the word, what does he say there? Is deceiving themselves. You're deceiving yourself. And because this word, deceive, is in the present tense, and this is where I mentioned a couple minutes ago, it's already going on. They were presently victims of their own self-deception. We might say in our words today, you're lying to yourself. Okay? In other words, hearing, listening was all that they were doing. That's the problem. That's why James says, do not merely listen to the word, if you will. Stop just listening to the word. It's like people today who, who run to the church. They run to the church to get their religious hour in. Right? That one hour of the week, and yet they run out of the church as fast as they can. They go to church, they sit in their seat, they sit in their pew, and they book out the doors. Folks, what was said from the podium isn't going to make it as far as the front door. They've listened, and they've left. I've done my duty, right? Went to church. I'm supposed to do that. I sat there, I listened, I walked. How many people, millions, do that today? MacArthur makes a great point. He says, when people are blessed with regular, in-depth preaching and teaching of Scripture, they may become so enamored with their knowledge of God's Word that they become self-satisfied with that knowledge and they forsake the effort to live out the profound truths that they've come to understand. That's really true. 
If you listen to great people or great teachers, Dave mentioned a couple this morning that he listens to, um, you, you learn, oh, that was great. I, I, I love to hear this. And you're taking all this information in, but it's become nothing more than head knowledge because you're just listening, all right? When Jeopardy comes on, I'm going to know the Bible category. When Dave asks a question, I'm going to know the answer. The problem, though, folks, is then, just like today, nothing's changed. There are way too many people auditing the Word of God. We audit the Word of God. We just listen. There are made way too many people auditing church or the worship service. People get up on Sunday morning. They get ready to go to church. They do whatever they can to somehow put a smile on their face because they're already dealing with the kids who are making them late. And I'm sure there are some people in here who have that issue as well. One pastor says they try to maintain their sanctification just while parking the car and getting into the building. <laughs> it's true. You're going to church, you're going to a worship service, and man, it's been a tough morning, man. At that time, the family blows the dust off their Bibles. They find a place to sit. They act all proper. They listen to the pastor teach. But before he can even finish closing in prayer, they have already forgotten what he talks about. You don't have to be a parent, by the way, to do that. I just use them as an example. Every Sunday, they go to church. How many Christians do this? We go to church and we listen and we listen and we listen and we listen. They think they're pleasing God. They think they're fulfilling these requirements. I came to church, I listened to what he said. But what did James say in verse 22? But you, he says, are deceiving yourself. Any response to the word other than faithful obedience is self-deception. That's a hard statement because nobody in this room is perfect. Any response to the word of God outside of faithful obedience is self-deception. Yeah, but Darren, I read my Bible through in a year. Well, congratulations, you're a hearer. Now, there are for some. Another way of being deceived is you're deceived even thinking you're saved. Many people, obviously not all, who simply hear the word, they listen to it, sat in the pews and done whatever they've done for years, their lives have never been changed. They're still that same old person. They still do the same old things. Nothing's changed. But because they hear a sermon on Sunday, or maybe they read a devotional a couple times during the week, they think it's all good. It's all good. But the evidence of one's salvation is not being a good listener. The evidence of one's salvation is not sitting in a seat or in a pew. The evidence of one's salvation is not being a good reader. It's a life of good fruit. It is a life that has been transformed Sanctification, you're in the process of being made holy. You don't just become holy. 
One of the texts you guys know that I love very much is the Sermon on the Mount. And I always think of, when I think of this, I think of Matthew chapter 7. And this is going to show you what I'm talking about. It will also lead us into the final point. But in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus is talking about that day when, when people will stand before him. Dave mentioned this morning, it's going to happen. Are you ready for that? He says, not every, at that point, he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Folks, who is it who calls Jesus Lord? Those aren't your average everyday pagan, is it? Those are people who think they're right with God. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father. It's not talking about work, salvation. It doesn't exist. Does your life reveal that? In verses 24, this is three verses later, in verses 24 through 27, Matthew 7, Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, here's that point I'm getting at. He is like the wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and they beat against the house. Yet it did not fall. Why? Because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, is like a foolish man. You are a fool, he says, because you built your house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and they beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. Folks, the bottom line is that if Christianity is built on anything else outside of obedience to the Word of God, it's just a religion. It's just one of thousands of religions. A true relationship with Jesus Christ is made manifest by obedience to God's word. And this is why the very end of the verse, verse 22, back in James, he says, do what it says. Right? Do not merely listen, or if you will, stop just listening to the word and deceiving yourself. He says, do what it says. The NAS actually has a little better translation. It says, prove yourselves doers of the word. So he's not just saying, do the word. He's saying, be a doer, right? Being a doer is describing who you are. I am a doer of the word. The Greek word literally means to perform, which simply is to say it's a lifestyle. Doing the word, being a doer is a lifestyle. James is not saying, hey, this is a great option for you. Sometimes we like to make it that way. That's how we place it in our minds. He's not saying, wow, what a great option you have. He says, I want this to define who you are. You are a doer of the word. Wouldn't we all say that it it would be pretty stupid for somebody to to die of hunger with a loaf of bread in their hand? Wouldn't we all say it's pretty stupid for somebody to have all these tools, never fix anything, 
Never build anything. That's not you. You fix and build all the time. Well, just as foolish is the one who hears, who listens to the very words of Almighty God, the Creator, and never applies them. One commentator says, James, James seems to think that his readers know the truth and believe the gospel, but they don't understand its implications for living. He says, God wants more than justified infants. You want to phrase that in our lingo today? God wants more than baby Christians. God wants more than people who just want to say, I'm saved. See, the man who, or the woman who God justifies is also the one he sanctifies. This is not about fire insurance, hell insurance. It's about growing, maturing, doing the Word of God, becoming the person that you say in your mind you want to be and pursuing that. I got enough time. Let me close with doing what I did as I opened, and that is by sharing some scriptures with you. Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 16. You can write these down. They're good to go back and look at. Jeremiah said, when your words came, I ate them. If you will, I consumed them. They were my joy and my heart's delight, for I bear your name, O Lord God Almighty. Psalm 119, verses 98 through 100. Your commands, that's the word of God, your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more insight than all my teachers. Why? For I meditate on your statutes. I have more understanding than the elders. Listen, for I obey your precepts. He doesn't have understanding because he's just sharp and he read it or he memorized it. He said, for I obey your precepts. Job chapter 23 verse 12 I have not departed from the commands of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my daily bread. Well, that's a challenge. Where do we put food in line with the word of God? How about a couple from the New Testament? James seventeen seventeen. The Lord is praying to the Father for his disciples, he knows he's getting ready to leave, to depart, to die. He says simply, sanctify them by your truth. You know what sanctify means, right? Set them apart. Make them holy by your truth, comma, your word is truth. Sanctify them. Make them holy by your word. I'll read one more, 1 John chapter 2, verse 14. I always like this. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, listen, 
and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Interesting, isn't it? The word of God lives in you, and what about it? You have overcome the evil one. God's word lives in him. It dwells in him. Uh, The Greek word comes back to it made a home in him. The Word of God, folks, is the source of spiritual truth, and therefore, it is also the source of spiritual growth. We can listen all we want, which is a good thing, but what are we doing with it? Remember, as Jesus had said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, hence the doer. He is the wise man who built his house on the rock. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the reminder. I know for me, going through this this week, Lord, to remind us so many people who, whether it be go to a Bible study or whether come to a church in a worship service and they listen and they listen and they listen but they never put it into practice. They're the same people that we've known for years. Well, that's never a good thing for any of us. Lord, our lives should be changing little by little by little by little. We should not be the same person we were last year or the year before or the year before. God, help us to understand the treasure of the Word of God. Lord, the Bible itself speaks so much about itself The Word speaks of the Word so much that it's very, very clear. It's powerful. They're not just a bunch of religious words written on a page. They're actually living and they are active. 2 Timothy, it helps us to be righteous, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And Lord, there are so many of the other scriptures that I read today. Lord, help us to be people to say, you know what, it's, it's great, it's awesome. I love to learn the Word. I love to, to learn and understand it, put it together in my heart and my mind. But Lord, if it's not lived out, if we don't allow it to change who we are, uh, how we talk, the words we use, how we treat one another, um, you name it, every part of our lives. It's not a big to-do that we are a knowledgeable person. We'd rather be a faithful person. Lord, help us all in here because every one of us fail at this. And guide us, Lord, to recognize, to have a hunger and a love for the truth, the life-transforming power of the Word of God. And we'll give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.